1: So Gerald McCoy picked the Panthers over the Browns and Ravens because, at least in part, they offered him something the other teams could not. Revenge. We'll talk about McCoy's decision to become one of the Bucks' NFC South rivals. And does McCoy care a little too much about what people think about him? How do you see the Bucks' offensive game planning working this year? And should the Bucks cut Jason Pierre-Paul? What moves should the Rays make as the trade deadline approaches? We've got all that and more on our popular Mailbag segment. Your question's answered 100% correctly on this edition of Sports Day Tampa Bay. I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times along with producer Steve Bursnick. Hey, do you want to be a millionaire? Well, for 30 years, Howard and Sue Million have brought the cool comfort of air conditioning to the entire Tampa Bay area, making thousands of residents millionaires with their quality products and service. Now, Millionaire is currently offering 0% interest for 72 months on qualifying equipment. Folks, it's hot out there. We know your air conditionings are starting to peter out. You've got a choice to make. I want you to choose Millionaire. Give them a call at 727-862-2100 to take advantage of this great offer on brand-new quality train air conditioning units or to schedule service or maintenance. Call 727-862-2100 today. Trust the masters of comfort, Millionaire. All right, Steve, so on Monday, the decision, uh, there was no Jim Gray. There was no uh, national television, but Joe McCoy McCoy made one. Is he going to South Beach? Uh, He's you know he's taking his talents uh, to Charlotte, Carolina, to North Carolina, the North Carolina Panthers. Man, that's who we play. I never understood why John Gruden always called them that. He never called them the Carolina Panthers or the Panthers. Like we gotta go up there and play the North Carolina Panthers. To which South Carolina probably felt a little left out. But the team is in North are. Carolina. I know, but they they are they are the Carolina they're supposed yeah. to represent both states, I believe. Did John Gruden go play the New Jersey Giants and New Jersey Jets too? <laughs> no, he didn't. He never <laughs> said that. That was the whole thing. It was like it was just we got to play the North Carolina Panthers, man. I never got that. But um anyway, so he's going to the North Carolina Panthers. Division rival, obviously. He had choices to make. I think uh, uh, sort of doing the uh, the autopsy on this a little bit. The Browns it was the first place he visited. Now there were 10 teams uh, that I reported that had shown some interest at different levels. And, of course, not all of them were the same. I mean, many teams had salary cap problems, and, um, you know, the offers certainly varied, and and, uh, and and we don't know maybe the identity of all the teams, but we do know he took three trips. He went to Cleveland, uh, met up there, of course. Odell Beckham Jr. was heavy on uh, social media trying to recruit him. Baker Mayfield, former Oklahoma quarterback. He likes Baker. You know, John Dorsey's done a good job of building what was probably the, one of the best defensive lines, most talented defensive lines uh, in the AFC, if not football. And we know that the Browns, even though they're the one team that has gone longer than the Bucs without making the playoffs, they're considered a real contenders for for the division championship this year and so on and so forth. So I went there, and, and I think he liked that visit. And then he visited the Ravens, who have probably the the bigger winning tradition with two Lombardi trophies and, of course, a defensive tradition at that. Um, you had Joe Cullen, who is a defensive line coach here in Tampa Bay, that, you know, that Gerald knew, Wink Martindale, the defensive coordinator, is a guy that likes to attack, you know, opposing quarterbacks, and so that, that potentially could have been a really good fit with the stability of a guy like John Harbaugh and the fact that they won the division last year, Lamar Jackson, another young quarterback that seems to be on the rise. But then there was a visit to Carolina, and Carolina – as I wrote in uh, today's Tampa Bay Times, you can read it on TampaBay.com. At the end of the day, Carolina was offered a lot of things to Gerald. The f- obviously, the familiarity with the division, um, his respect for Ron Rivera, Cam Newton is a big, big equation because you would look at the other two quarterbacks. Here's a guy that's actually won 15 games in a season, went to a Super Bowl, has been the league MVP, um, and but they offered the one thing the other two teams couldn't, and I think this was a factor. I'm not saying it was the factor. But it was revenge. Um, look, this whole thing has really sort of been uh, a weird journey for McCoy, um, almost from the start. And you know, so so he signs a one year deal with Carolina. It's an eight million dollar contract. It had four million dollars in a signing bonus, which you don't see often. Uh, it can be worth as much as ten point two five million dollars on on certain playing incentives that he could easily make if he stays healthy. And and so you know. The financials were there, obviously, but you know, in some ways, I mean, especially of late, it's almost—it was almost like you know—the Bucks almost goaded him into this. I mean, look—it's not—it's not to say that, that that Tampa Bay didn't have every right to say, you know, what we don't think McCoy's worth thirteen million dollars that he's over two thousand nineteen, or given their salary cap situation, that you know, they they probably should move on or something like that. The problem is, is that they try to have it both ways. You know, soon after Bruce Arians was hired as a new head coach, uh, they were all too eager to tell me and anybody else that you know, no, Gerald Gerald's a good; he'd be a good fit for this new defense. You know, under Todd Bowles, and uh, you know, we did this with Darnell uh, uh, Dockett, and and you know, well, you know, thirteen million. I mean, it doesn't sound that out of whack when you consider that Damakon Sue made fourteen million from the Rams, and he only had four and a half sacks last season. So you heard all of this, and this was in February when I think the Bucks were trying to you know to to. Jimmy up a trade for him um, and probably had no real desire to keep him even at that point. And then, you know, a month later, and this is when, you know, at the combine I'm talking to him, and he says, I think he, Arian mean says, I think I think he fits our defense. He's a three-down player. So yeah, I mean, you know, stats don't only show how good a player you are, especially at that position. So he says, I think he fits our defense. Then we have all the rhetoric that occurs a month later at the league meetings when Arians is questioning everything from McCoy's enthusiasm for the game, saying he's not as disruptive a player as he was four years ago. McCoy, meanwhile, is not talking to anybody at one buck place. He's out in San Diego. He's reading all this stuff. No one's really calling him. And, you know, then after they, you know, quickly decide to release Joe Joe McCoy uh, a few weeks ago, um, they then – Really quickly signed or agreed to a, a one-year deal with Indomicon Sioux for nine point two five million, and Arians goes on ESPN and he says, "You know what? It just wasn't a good fit." It's exactly the opposite of what he had said in February, a month or so earlier. So, if you're Gerald McCoy and you're kind of living this this sort of roller coaster, am I in? Am I out? Am I going to play? Where am I? Are they going to trade me? Are they going to cut me? Um, this this probably motivated him and as we talked about before the podcast steve you said that you know every pro athlete particularly nfl player is looking for that thing right that chip on their shoulder um that maybe gerald had been as people think he's been lacking for a while i think that's a bunch of crap but that's that's certainly a criticism of his and at the end of the day oh oh by the way an hour or so before McCoy actually announces or, or, you know, agrees to a, a one-year deal with Carolina and Don Sue just on his own tweets out a photo of himself, uh, from the bucks, I I would assume in his new 93 Jersey, which of course he's worn at other, other stops along the way and the Rams in Miami and, and Warren college. Um, and, uh, you know, in all his glory, he's basically taken Joe McCoy's number. So the, the, the suspense about whether or not they would give away McCoy's number, which is something they never do, especially with an iconic player. I mean, you know, I think this this is the first time for a player that's made at least five Pro Bowls that that number has been given away in the next year. I mean, Hardy Nickerson, you know, they waited two years to give away his number. Everybody else is either retired, their numbers are either retired or unofficially, or or you know, unofficially put out of service, and so. Not that he hadn't made his decision or needed more motivation, but that, I'm sure, and you'll, you may never hear him say this, but I'm sure that was you know one of the ultimate slaps in the face for McCoy. So, at the end of the day, yeah, the opportunity to play the Bucks twice, um, I think probably was a, was a factor. Now, how much, I, I don't know, because you have things like the proximity that Charlotte is to Tampa, what is his family going to do, um, where, what part of the country does he want to live, um, you know, Baltimore and Cleveland are certainly different, different cities in and of themselves, and, and, and cold weather cities, and different conferences, and all of that, which could have worked to his favor. In fact, because you know, none of the guards in the AFC really know him. Everybody in the NFC knows him, so you know, you won't be surprising anybody. But but he knows the offensive um, linemen in the NFC too. So he knows them. That's right. That's exactly right. So it's it's a complete it's a complete wash when it comes to that. Um, so you know, he's going he's going to Carolina. And says so James Taylor, so I'm going to Carolina in that song or something. Um, and so that's sort of how it all evolved. And and I, I, you know, the unfortunate thing for him, I guess, or maybe it's fortunate. I really don't know what reception he would have gotten, but he won't make it back to Raymond James Stadium because. Uh, and, and you know, and McCoy tweeted me. He says, "Hey, see you week two with an exclamation point." Um, the Bucks played Carolina four days after their regular season opener they host the san francisco 49ers and four days later they're in charlotte for a thursday night football game against the panthers and gerald mccoy and then uh instead of the the bucks hosting carolina at raymond james that game's been forfeited to go to london on october 13th as part of their agreement to host the super bowl um you know 55 on february 7th in 2021 so He's not going to get the chance to play back in in, in, our, in Raymond James, but he will play the Bucks twice, and he is going to have a say about how their season goes. So um, very interesting uh, subplots and sort of uh, turns and twists to this whole thing. But we now know that uh, there's a new 93 in Tampa Bay, and it's in Dhammakong Sioux, even though he's here for one year, which is another thing It's probably a point of irritation. And we now know that uh, the other 93 for Carolina – is going to be playing the Bucks twice.
0: Okay, well, our mailbag tonight is going to start with some Gerald McCoy questions. So we'll start with Mike, who asked, in your opinion, does Gerald McCoy care a little too much about what people think about
1: him? He probably does. And, um, you know, look, I, I'm not sure that there's many players that don't pay attention to social media these days. I think it's difficult to get away from it, as much as you might try. You know, Gerald McCoy is a people pleaser, and he always has been, and... I, I think he's at times he can be oversensitive about that sort of thing. He kind of he kind of rides the roller coaster of, I'm not responding to anybody. I'm not reading that crap. I don't care what they say. To why do they say so many things bad about me? <laughs> um, and there was never any really rhyme or reason for it. He would just you know he just kind of go through these mood swings, you know. And and you know obviously there were people on local radio. One in particular that was always after him for whatever reason, almost from the start. I think there's some jealousy about how much money he made, but we've talked about this before. You know, he's not Warren Sapp. He doesn't have his demeanor. Uh, he can't be a first ballot Hall of Famer because almost nobody is. And, you know, and and, and don't forget that, you know, he played nine seasons on teams that won um, two of those seasons, you know, and one of them was his rookie year when he got hurt. He got hurt his first two years, so everybody considered him a bust, while Sue actually won rookie of the year, and those two – are always going to be leaked uh, for perpetuity because they were, you know, number two and three in the draft, played in the same conference in college and all of that. So, uh, you know, almost from the beginning, he was, you know, he was the guy that came after Sue. He was the guy replacing Sapp. There was, and to this day I defy people to tell me, who are all the great defensive linemen that they brought in to play with him, you know, outside of Michael Bennett in his early years, had nine sacks and they didn't want to pay him, so he went to Seattle and became a star. Um, you know, and then of course last year with Jason Pierre Paul, uh, again, at the end of his, of his, probably his career towards the end of his career, managed to have 12 and a half sacks good for him, but nobody's ever made a pro bowl while he was here on that defensive line. In fact, they went five years and drafted like one guy in the sixth round. So, you know, I, um, Gerald was always going to be the guy that got pushed out front. We always came to him, you know, when, when they lost, which was often, what's wrong with the defense, what's wrong with the team, can you pull yourselves out of it, all this kind of stuff. And um, and, and at times he was just too nice to say, guys, I don't want to talk about it. And he became the face of futility. You know, this would have been his fifth head coach. We talked about it, 15 or 16 defensive line coaches, uh, seven or eight defensive coordinators, all of wanting him to do something different at times, something he wasn't should not have been asked to do. And um, – and so he wore it. So, yeah, it wore on him over nine seasons. And I do think that he, uh, at times, was guilty of paying too much attention to that. And yet, uh, you know, some people would look at that and say, well, he, he gives a damn. You know, like there are there are cold players that are in it for the money. They don't care what fans say. And they, frankly, don't care what you think of them, whether good, bad, or indifferent. And I don't know that, that there's any kind of a connection that you can have with a player that's like that. Um, but, you know. We know what McCoy did in the community. We know he cared about playing in Tampa. The Bucks were his team growing up. Sap was his guy that he liked to watch play. And so he was living a dream, and it mattered to him. And he let people in on that sometimes. And I think, you know, I, personally, I, as a writer, I love it when athletes show a vulnerability, even if it's oversensitivity to, to something. And um, Gerald was always willing to share that, that part of him, and, and I thought it was good, but um, yes, I would agree that at times, and we all can be this way, but he was probably a little too sensitive. All right, Garrett asked, will Gerald McCoy
0: have his career best game against the Bucks in week two? He says stinks that our home game with the Panthers this year is in London wishing him nothing but the best of luck.
1: Well, I don't know. It's hard to, it's hard to say. We're still a long way you know from the regular season, much less uh, week two, and it's going to come fast because both teams, Carolina and the Bucks, will open the season on a Sunday and four days later they're playing again on Thursday Night Football now. It should be an advantage Carolina because they don't have to travel, right? But neither team will practice. You don't know how either team is going to come out of that season opener. Uh, The first game that these guys play four quarters at full regular season speed is a a shock, even to veterans. Uh, My experience with older players, guys that are over 30 in particular, and this would apply to Ndamukong Sioux as well, is that uh, the first month of the season is really hard on them. They really don't get their legs under them until about the end of September, beginning of October. Derek Brooks taught me this a long time ago that, you know, if you're an older player, it takes you about a month to really, really start to feel yourself again. And then the last month of the season in December to January is absolute hell because you're just beat. You're, you're just, you know, your body can't take, um, you know, the full rigors of an NFL season. It's very, very much a struggle. At that last month, so will Gerald McCoy be at his best four days after the season opener? I don't know. You know, will he be playing at all? Um, we don't know. But I think he'll be highly motivated. And uh, if he's going to have a good game, you can bet his hair is going to be on fire, um, especially at home. You know, with the Panthers crowd behind him and seeing Jameis Winston in those colors for the first time, it'll be weird for him. Um, but I think he'll uh, he'll certainly get after it and, and. They know him very well, but he'll, he'll have to try to battle Ali Marpet and Ryan Jensen and those guys and see if, he can, see if he can get Jameis Winston on the ground. All right. Say he has a comment more than
0: a question, but he says, if we lose to the Panthers, as we've done many times, it won't be because of Gerald. So if he thinks he's sticking
1: it to Bucks fans, he's fooling himself. Well, I don't know that it's not the fans that he dislikes. I mean, I think, you know, the, the interesting thing about Twitter, which I have said not everybody should probably be on, but they are, it seems, um, because I've, I've battled these people all the time. Like, I, I don't I understand fandom, like, you root for your team, right? Um, but Gerald McCoy never had a problem with fans in Tampa Bay. He's not trying to stick it to the fans of Tampa Bay. Quite the opposite, he's embraced the fans. He's done a lot for the fans he's always been fan friendly he's always been a guy that used his own money uh not some corporations like some players do to put on football camps um you know brought christmas to 40 underprivileged families uh, out of his own pocket all those things and so he, he you know the fans have been what what gets him going during all these losing seasons he he has a, a connection with them, and it's deep and it's mostly endearing. There are those plenty of detractors. That's just pro sports, you know. People have their opinions, and um, they're not afraid to express them. And you know, like I said, I think Gerald's been sort of the guilt by association of the fact that the team never won, and he was the guy that made the most money. Um, but I don't think he wants to stick it to the fans. I think he would love to stick it to Jason Light. I think he would love to stick it to Bruce Arians. Uh, and anybody else in the front office that thinks that he wasn't worth thirteen million dollars, and there's no crime in that, but again, it wasn't even so much hey, we wanna you know we're ready to move on to something else or somebody else. It was sort of this you know death by a thousand um you know moth bites or whatever uh that are paper cuts because it was the, the, you know just the constant tearing down of who he is and who he could be in this defense and sort of the flip-flopping that we just documented that Arians had. And he, and, and, and he was also, you know, he was largely ignored by the coaching staff. I mean, they, you know, Todd Bowles had no reason to call him because he wasn't part of their future and he knew it. And, and that decision was going to be made by Jason Light and Bruce Arians. So he was sort of a, he's sort of a man on an Island. He didn't have a team and, and I think that hurt him. So, um, yeah, you know, I mean, stick it to the fans. No, uh, you know, look, even when you even when you love somebody like your brother, you want to compete harder against them than you do, you know, somebody else. I mean, sometimes it's it means more to you um, to beat you know to beat a member of your family than it does somebody else. And the Bucks have been his family for nine years, so of course he wants to win. Of course he wants to play well. Um, you know, like I said, I think that. In, in a weird way. I think that's one of the reasons why he's going to Carolina. Okay, Les asked. with the news
0: of Jason Pierre-Paul looking to be a mid-October return as the best case scenario, why don't the Bucks just cut ties with him and save salary cap space? Unless they are playoff bound, $14 million
1: for eight games isn't a wise use of the cap. It's a great question. It's one that they would have to consider. Um, I think they'll have an answer what the plan was from what I understand, my reporting is that, okay, so he got hurt, I think, around May 2nd, I want to say, mm-hmm. and it uh, was when the accident was, and then they evaluated him, like, the next week, and at some point, all the specialists got together, and one in particular said, listen, we're not doing anything and making any decisions for 11 weeks, so uh, we're now into, you know, the first week of June, um, so it's been about five weeks maybe, so another six weeks, what will be like into August at some point. Uh, they'll take a look at that cervical fracture that he has and if it's healed, and it's truly healed, then he can you know, start talking about doing some uh, some conditioning and some football-like things to get himself ready. My understanding, and Bruce Arian said this the other day on ESPN, that even under the best case scenario, uh, say they, that he doesn't need surgery, it's still going to be what he terms a, quote, five-month injury, which would put you not playing in the month of September and maybe beginning to uh, get back on the field and prepare to play sometime in October. So, you know, you're looking at a month, month and a half into the season uh, with no training camp, no offseason, uh, trying to get himself ready to play when other guys are in regular season mode. It's a great question, and I think it's something that they have to consider. Uh, and I don't think they'll know this until the eleventh week period is up. Now, obviously, if he needs surgery, well, that's it; he's going on IR. Um, but they seem to be willing to ride it out with him because you know they they could have uh, potentially done something with him, you know, and put him on a non football injury list and just you know waited to see whether he could make it or not, and um, you know just just determine released him injured, what have you. I guess that they're going to ride this out, but but there there is there was, and I don't know if there still is the potential of saying, you know, look, it's non football injury. We're going to cut you, much like they did with um, Kendall Beckwith, you know, mm-hmm. the linebacker from LSU who didn't play last year uh, because of uh, an ankle injury he sustained in a car accident, and now this year he's still not able to play. In fact, it looks like it's career threatening, and they put him on the reserve non football injury list, and they're done with him. So. That's something they could do with JPP, mm-hmm. but I don't think um, we'll know that until until after the eleven week period. I also
0: believe, and correct me if I'm wrong, but about half his salary is guaranteed at this point, so you wouldn't be saving the fourteen point no, nine mil. You'd be saving no. about seven and a half, seven point four. That's
1: correct. That's correct. Yep. And and, and you know, and, and then the other argument is too that like even if he comes back, well, does it matter if you're two and five versus five and two? You know what I mean? I mean, does that do you really want to pay a guy for you know, three quarters or half of a season when you're probably not going to pull yourselves out of it and you definitely aren't bringing him back in the, the next year? It's just it's a question they have to wrestle with. Mm-hmm. All right, John asks, How do you see the offensive game planning working this
0: year? An inexperienced offensive coordinator with a bunch of guys around him who aren't. Will it be game planned by committee, or is Leftwich coming up with it and passing it on for critique?
1: Uh, it's always sort of a, a collaborative effort. Um, it's always been that way, I think, in most of the teams that I've covered. But you know, in particular, um, you know, you have a guy in Harold, uh, you know, Goodwin that has has done the run game coordinating. He's actually been an offensive coordinator himself briefly, and and so he's he's going to. And this this is not unusual. Where the offensive line uh, coach may be um, that guy that sort of puts in the, the running plays and, and, and he matches it up against the defense they're playing that week. And, you know, what, what are those, are we zone runs, the power runs, the, you know, all this other stuff and sort of figures out how to attack on the ground, the other team. And then you have the combination of Clyde Christensen, who's been an offensive coordinator before in this league and he is the quarterback's coach with Jameis and, and in, in, in concert, you know, with Byron left, which trying to come up with the pass plays you know, you might have 200, Pass plays in a, in a game plan, um, and so different route combinations, all of that, and to go against a particular defense, and so all those coaches, receivers, coach, all, all of them will sort of have their role in collaboration. Um, ultimately, it'll result in a script um, that uh, you know the Bruce Arians will also have his input on, and they'll all have the same script, and it's you know based on down and distance, situation, defense, all that. And, and then Byron is going to be the guy calling the plays. Now, my understanding is that, you know, Bruce Arians is not going to be game planning. He's not going to be the guy that installs the game plan, but he'll get it with everybody else, and it'll be his to, to veto or not. I mean, as, as Arians has said, he says that him and Leftwich sort of see the game the same way, so he's not concerned that Leftwich is going to come up with a game plan that he thinks is just completely out of whack and, and not, not the way he wants to attack the other team. Um, but once they have their script and they have their plays, you know, Arians has said there's about four or five calls in a game. Do you go for it on fourth down? Do you take a shot down the field here? Do you, you know, do you run the ball there? Um, that you know he'll be having the ability to get on the headset and say, "Hey, Byron, let's do this." Um, and, but ultimately, it's really it's going to be a grand experience uh, experiment because Byron Leftwich is 39, former quarterback in this system, knows it like the back of his hand but has never actually called this offense in, in an NFL game as the coordinator. You remember, he, he did eight games last year for the Cardinals, but it wasn't Bruce Arian's offense. Uh, and so this is something new, but he certainly knows this one better than any. And I think that, um, that it will be collaborative, but I do, I do think they're putting an awful lot of faith uh, in Byron Leftwich and, and, his, and what, what Arians swears is a huge upside uh, as a play caller and as a head coach. Well, Ellis asked us, Bruce Arians says the secondary is,
0: quote, fixed. Are the rookies that impressive, or are the standards that low for a group that was mediocre at best last year?
1: <laughs> you know, I have wrestled. I, I listened to that press conference, too, as I'm sure many of our um, listeners did. We, You know, we, we played some of that. But when Bruce Arians came out and said, it's fixed, we've done it, he sounded like somebody else to me, um, you know, it, You know, let's let's just let's just back up here a second, okay? Last year, and I know Arians wasn't here, but nonetheless, last year, Vernon Hargraves got hurt in game one. Made a play, actually, that resulted in a in a scoop and score touchdown, but he got hurt in game one, was out for the year. Then you had Carlton Davis, right? Second round pick. started a bunch of games. MJ Stewart, second-round pick, started a bunch of games. Jordan Whitehead, safety, started a bunch of games. In fact, those three guys combined to start 40 games. Actually, I think you might even include Hargraves in that. And you know how many interceptions they had? As many as me, which is none. Okay? And I didn't start any games. They had zero interceptions. Okay? Those, Those guys. Now, these are your guys coming back with experience. These are your starters, allegedly, right, in many instances. And so now you add three rookies to the mix. Look, I don't care how good they are or how good you think they are, but they haven't played one snap against Julio Jones or Michael Thomas or anybody else in the NFC South. So to say that something is fixed as in, no, we fixed that. That's that's all good to go. That's sort of irresponsible, I think, in a way. How do you know? In fact, you won't know. You couldn't know. And if we're judging it on what's happening on grass during the install period in OTAs, well, who's throwing all those interceptions? Uh that would be your quarterback, Jameis Winston, or your backup, right? Um, so I I don't I don't you know I've seen the guys make plays out there and they, they do look like they belong, okay? but nobody's playing football right now. and and so I just think it's premature at best and maybe a little irresponsible to suggest that oh, we got this fixed now. Oh, it's fixed. okay. So from here on out, if Drew Brees goes out there and throws for 404 touchdowns on you, I guess then it wasn't fixed, right? Not to mention, you don't know what kind of help these guys are going to get from your defensive line that you're still putting together. So you're going to play press coverage on the outside with a bunch of rookies and guys that didn't have any interceptions. Maybe it's a better defense for them. Maybe it's not. But at the end of the day, all I know is zero interceptions in 40 games and zero snaps against NFL players with the three rookies that you just added. Okay. If that's fixed, I'm anxious to see how it goes.
0: Alright, we'll switch to the Rays now and Les tweeted. Okay, I'm all in on the Rays. I do think they need to be buyers sooner rather than later. I think they need at least one more starter. Not sure about Tyler Glass now coming back. And I'm and I need a frontline starter, not a scrub. And bullpen's also an issue. How say you?
1: I think the bullpen's a bigger issue. Um I don't know what's going to happen to Tyler Glass now. They don't seem – I mean, you know, they, they moved his timetable back and said, no, no, no setback at all other than what we just imposed. Um, so, yeah, of course you're concerned about, about Glass now, but when he was pitching, he was the best in the American League for a month. So, you know, you know you got Snell. You know you got Charlie Morton. Um, I think that, that some of these guys have acquitted themselves pretty well. And, uh, you know, could they use another starter? Absolutely. But if I had to choose – uh, I'd be a little nervous about the bullpen and, and particularly if you could you know find somebody that could work some late innings, you know um, look Alvarado and um, you, you know he is Diego just Castillo. he was yeah Diego Castillo, I mean both those guys kind of lost it at the same time. They were both so incredibly dominant for the first month, month and a half. and then just like that, it went away. Now, you know the old thing in coaching is if I can get you to do it once, why can't I should be able to get you to do it every time? You know, like you, there should be a floor here that's pretty solid, and whatever the ceiling is, it is. But at least I know what the floor is, and they've kind of sunk below their floor. You know, the control, the confidence, whatever. Um, and and maybe it's just because they just don't have a lot of options down there. You know, and those are their guys, and to make them their guys, they have to keep running them out there because how are they going to get better if they're not in those situations more and more? You know, um, I think. You know, Pagan is, Emilio Pagan is another guy that potentially could certainly help you and has helped in late innings. I don't know that he's going to get the last three outs. It'd be nice if Ryan Standing could do something besides open because you get him, you get him in the seventh inning or later, he's a different pitcher for some reason. So that makes no sense. He throws hundred miles an hour. Um, so I, you know, I could see them adding to the bullpen. We talked about this before. I, you, you know, to me, It'd be great to have a late-inning guy or somebody that's done, been there, done that, you know, that has that experience that you can just say, yeah, no, he he knows what he's doing and he can close and uh, he's been in, you know, high-leverage situations. Um, but they don't have that guy right now. And as far as starters go, yeah, but, but you know, who's out? I mean, I know Dallas, we hear the same names all the time, right? Dallas Keiko, and I don't think they're going to sign him. Um, you know, I don't, I don't know. I, I think that the help on the starting side is probably going to come more from within as it has uh, during this period where, you know, where Tyler glasnow has been out. What do you think, Steve? Do you think they would go starter or reliever or both? Well, I think they're definitely going to add to the bullpen.
0: Yeah, I mean, whether you get a Craig Kimbrell or not, I don't know. But I think they're going to add, you know, much like they did two years ago when they added guys like yeah. Jennings and Cishek and, and, yeah. and that. I, I, you're going to see them add to the bullpen. Um, it may not be your eighth or ninth inning guys, but I think you're going to see more arms come there. Experienced you arms, know, yeah. If, if Keuchel and, and Kimbrell are both interested in the Rays, you know, we talked about this the other night. I like Kimbrell a lot, but I would take Keuchel over Kimbrell. Yep. Um. Not that I, I, I think bullpen is the bigger need, but I think Keuchel could really help this staff a lot, and if yep. you add some other arms as well, and, and eat up a lot more innings, and, and help the bullpen stay fresher. Um, yep. But I, I would, look if the race signed Kimbrell, I think it would be a good signing too. Don't get me wrong on that. Um, yeah, and, and he's a guy, you know. But the the question is, and we talked about this last night too on the podcast was, if you sign a Kimbrel and now he's your ninth inning guy, what does that do to the psyche of Jose Alvarado, Diego Castillo? and that, well, sure, and Absolutely. not not just for this season, but long term and everything else too. So moving forward, I mean, you're yeah. trying to win, so it's a balancing act, and. and Look, I don't know the mindset of Jose Alvarado or Diego Castillo, Kevin Cash, and the Rays are going to know a lot more about that. But there is that balancing act of it too, and you know the other part is if if Craig Kimbrel comes in here, is he willing to pitch the seventh and eighth inning at times? Because we know the Rays don't mm-hmm. use the same guy every position every time. Jose Alvarado right. doesn't close every game. Sometimes he no. comes in, in the seventh or eighth inning because that's where that's the high leverage. That's where the yeah. three, four, five hitters are coming up, and we need the outs. That's right. You know, so and Kimbrel's, you know historically been one i pitched the ninth now mm-hmm. maybe not playing for the first half of the year has changed that mindset to him and and i don't know and as okay. more and more teams are, are doing that too where they're putting their best pitchers in a little higher leverage situations maybe in the seventh or eighth inning so you yeah. know th- those are all things to consider with those guys but I, I definitely think they will add bullpen arms whether they're eighth and ninth inning guys or some more sixth and seventh inning guys to help get there or even some, yeah. you know, some more specialists. They sent Adam Klerk down. You you know, you're going to get another left-handed specialist or somebody, mm-hmm. you know, to lock down. But I, I, I do see them definitely adding arms. Speaking of an arm, Sam asked, what are the odds that we see Colin Poche come up at some point this season? I know the central aspect of the bullpen struggles have been the youth, but there's no reason the team shouldn't be at least bringing him up and giving him a shot.
1: Colin Pochet, I seem to remember somebody telling me recently that uh, he was pretty impressive in spring training. What's he doing now, Steve? Yeah, well, I had to reach out to Neil Solans for help on this question so,
0: because he is the king of all everything raised minor leagues. And Colin Pochet looked really good in, in preseason, and he gets a lot of strikeouts. This season so far in Durham, he's got 44 strikeouts in 25 innings. Wow. Um, he started the season off pretty rough um his he gave up five earned runs in an inning in a third in his third game gave up four runs and runs in two-thirds of an inning in the fourth game but he's pitched much better of late uh, i believe in the last month he's got a two one three one 3 era uh, 22 strikeouts in 12 innings the biggest problem for him is is that the rays right now have a 40-man roster crunch they've got a lot of players injured so you know like when they were having to go out and sign Eric Kratz as a catcher or Travis Darnot to trade for. They had to make room on the 40-man roster. They were cutting players, essentially, from their organization to make room for that. Colin Pochet is not on the 40-man roster. So in mm-hmm. order to call him up, you've got to let someone from your 40-man go, essentially, or expose them to other teams at that point. So that, that becomes a problem. But he's pitching much better of late. Could, it, could we see him later in the season? Yeah, I think there's a shot at it. But right now, it's probably not likely based on the roster crunch, if nothing else. All right, Mike asked, after this weekend, do you think the Rays regret giving up C.J. Crone and Jake DeRizzi away to the Twins for practically nothing?
1: Well, what did they get for those guys? I don't know about Krohn. I mean, well, Krohn was designated, designated for go, assignment, so, so he signed. Yeah, he was, he was uh, just Jake like girls.
0: But... if I recall, and, and I, I could go look this up, but off the top of my head, it was a lower-level prospect that they got at the trade deadline. Basically, they dumped some salary. And yeah. they got a lower level prospect that they have some hopes for, but I don't think it's it's not, you know, your Willie adamas type prospect that you got in the David Price trade and that.
1: Yeah, ultimately I don't know what, what kind of money Jake Odorizzi is making and whether he could have made it with the Rays. Um, but he was always I thought he was always a, a an effective pitcher. I mean, look, last year with the twins he was like six and ten, um, with an ERA, I think, over four, if I'm not mistaken. So wasn't like he had a great season is you know his first year with the twins but he was always a guy that uh, got a lot of strikeouts tell you what he did he he was he, answered, he was pitching every fifth day mm-hmm. this guy has not been hurt he has logged innings yep. uh, and there is something to be said for that you know he's always been a guy that you could count on going out there and giving you a pretty good effort and you know had the high fastball and struck out some play the amazing thing about him is that his velocity now has gone up two miles an hour which is weird. Um, but that's like we mentioned the other night that the the twins hired you know a college coach Arkansas pitching coach that that has a knack for improving velocity so you know what good on him Um, do they regret it I I don't know I mean you you know you make these decisions based Mm -hmm. on what you what you have at the time and uh, you know clearly as they sit here now you know with their three starters that they would like to have another one but they don't have Odorizzi.
0: Yeah, they traded Jake Odorizzi for Jermaine Palacios, a shortstop, third baseman, second baseman, who's playing for Montgomery right now. And Jake is making $9.5 million this year. He's a free agent at the end of the season.
1: Well, you know what they say in Montgomery, no risk it, no biscuits. There you go. So, you know, there's that. <laughs> it all comes together, man. <laughs> yes,
0: yes, it does. <laughs> all right, well, John asked, What, if anything, are the leaders of Tampa and St. Pete currently doing to figure out a solution to the race situation? It doesn't seem far-fetched that Sternberg might not wait until 2027 to decide to relocate, which another city might be willing to pay the penalty for.
1: I don't know what they're doing. I think Ken Ken Hagen, you know, uh, going a few weeks back, you know, made some comment about, you know, I really think that if St. Pete would just give us a chance or something moronic like that. I mean, I know – I know Ken would like another opportunity, you know, you guys did have three years. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, you didn't get it done and that's, that's why they're forced to go back to St. Pete now and, and, and either try to do you know a deal there or, or get the city of St. Petersburg to let them out of their lease so that they can go someplace else, presumably, um, you know, back to Hillsborough County or someplace and, and keep, keep the raise in Tampa Bay. I don't know what's happening, really. I don't think much, and I also don't think that, you know, the way the re- lease is written, that that Sternberg can really do a whole lot. Um, he can't leave know.
0: before you know twenty. They're they're going to play at the Tropicana Field till twenty twenty seven, unless something else is negotiated. That's so, right. So it's not like tomorrow Sternberg could say we're going to Nashville, San up Antonio, the Portland. Vans. That's right. So in in two three years we're there. That's that can't That's happen right. at this point. But no. By twenty, if you're if you're looking to be in a new facility in twenty twenty eight, you need four years. Three that means twenty twenty three. You better know what you're doing. That's correct. Particularly if you're moving at that point, because That's correct, you know. So you've got to figure out what you're doing at that point. So you've got a window here of three four years to figure this out.
1: Well, now, and we've talked you know, right I, now I the, razor,
0: wanna... the razor the are studying the the logistics or the you know is it feasible to stay in Pinellas County. Which Mm -hmm. is, you know, they've told Rick Kreisman they're, they're, that's what they're, they're going to do a study and see if it's feasible for them to remain in Pinellas County or not. Once that study comes back or they announce the decisions or whatever they're going to do, at that point, then it could be trying to build a stadium in Pinellas County or negotiating to get another window to negotiate with Hillsborough County or you could negotiate to leave the area too. Although I don't think Rick Kreisman would be open to negotiating that, but you know, anything's possible at that point.
1: We've talked about this. I believe that they're not that upset about the lack of attendance. Um, It's noticeable that they're not marketing this team all that well. Uh, Certainly they don't have the Saturday concert series that would draw 25,000 or whatnot. Um, I think they're trying to make a point with St. Petersburg. And that is it doesn't work here. It doesn't work in this stadium. It doesn't work in this location. It may not work in St. Pete. And um, that's what I think they're doing. I, I, you know, I mean, it's up to the fans to come out or not. They can't control that. Obviously, they'd probably be delighted if 25,000 people showed up every night and, and you know, they're not, they're not barring the doors or anything. But they're also – they just don't seem that – you don't hear much about it, right? It's, it's, it's historically low for a, a team that, quite frankly, was on or maybe still be on a historic, you know, win total. Um, very good baseball team. So uh, you know, how do you rationalize those two things? How 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 is the attendance continue to go, you know, sink to submarine levels um, when it's been when it was it's gone from really bad to just got awful. And now, now I no I believe the television be the
0: television it. ratings are up Twenty to thirty percent this year, from what yeah, I've, it's I've not, heard,
1: it's it's not interest. We know that. I mm-hmm. mean, it's a combination of no corporate support. Who's buying the tickets? Who's not? Did they did they upset some people? And or, you know, did their flirtation with Hillsborough County turn some people off then in Pinellas or in St. Petersburg? I mean, all these things we can't really prove. But um, boy, I, I know this that that you're not hearing a lot of rhetoric about it. They've sort of kind of accepted it, and in fact, um, I think they've decided not to spend a whole lot of effort mm-hmm. um, trying to get people in the seats at that stadium that either happens or it doesn't. We've been through this. It's not a function of whether we win or not. We're going to try to win any, no matter what. And if people want to come great, if they don't, they're proving our point, you know? And I think he said so, as much so, you know what the proof is in the pudding or something to that, some cliche to that effect. And, and I think it is being proven that this is not the place where baseball can survive in Tampa Bay. Um, and, what Kreisman or the city council or anybody else does with it. I don't know. But if you think that there's a bunch of pile of money sitting over in Hillsborough County, you just had three years to demonstrate there isn't. So there has to be a a, a better or new solution. If you think you're going over there uh, where there's, you know, maybe a bigger population center or what have you, but uh, or a preferable site, you know, but, but nothing happened in three years. So, um, you know, I don't know what the second bite of the apple will do, but I, I, I would think that they would like to try it, you know, that maybe they learned some things. And, and like I said, I, I still firmly believe that until, you know, until you hit the bewitching hour, we saw this in Chicago with the White Sox when they actually moved the clock back during Illinois legislative session by an hour so that they could pass a referendum with the governor going around, bending, you know, twisting arms and fingers and everything else to get a new Comiskey Park built. We've seen it in San Francisco, you know, when, when again, all these destinations that these teams could go to was St. Petersburg and was was Tropicana Field um, at that time called the Thunderdorm or whatnot. But, um, you know, we, we've seen this movie before, and I just think that we're still not quite there where where people are nervous about losing their baseball team or nervous enough.
0: Well, Bob has an idea, and he says – why can't the Rays use the uniqueness of the state by playing some games in other stadiums in Florida, like Clearwater, Bradenton, Tampa, just to see what the crowds they would attract?
1: Well, um, there's a lot of reasons for that. And they did, if you recall, they went over to Kissimmee uh, a couple of years ago for a couple of games, I believe. Mm-hmm. I think they and played at
0: uh, Disney, Wide World of Sports at
1: Disney. Wide World of Sports, That was yeah. several years.
0: That was before I even moved to town. But.
1: Right. And, uh, and they were well attended, and – the idea was to, you know, sort of create a fan base, you know, in central Florida. The Bucks used to do this where they go over and play a preseason game in Orlando, that sort of thing, and even talked about playing regular season games, but never did. So they, they've attempted that. Um, you know, you've got the Florida State League, which is, you know, the primary buildings for these teams, um, you know, whether you're talking about Bright House Field and Clearwater or, uh, you know, the, the Yankees complex off of Dale Mabry, I mean, these are in use stadiums. So, and, and they're small and, and uh, not, not that you couldn't cram in 8,000 people to these places. Cause you certainly could. I, I'm sure there's a reason. I don't know what it is, but um, you know, it, it's not as easy to move uh, for a home team to move all your baseball operations mm-hmm. and your, your equipment and all the things you need for batting practice and all this other stuff. And some of that is, is already, you know, at these stadiums, but it's You know, you don't have the comforts of home that you're used to, and you want these players and their fans um, to have a certain standard and th- that they would expect. You know, so, let's say, so all these places are open-air stadiums, right? So you go to Clearwater one night and it rains like hell, you know, and your team has to wait through a, you know, a four-hour rain delay and you're playing at 2 o'clock in the morning. Have you made things better or worse? You know, I, I just don't think that there's much upside for that. They're not going to move to Clearwater um but you know tampa sure but you can't even talk to hillsborough county right now so uh, i i just don't think you're going to see him do that
0: all right adam asked what is the purpose of the player to be named later in trades are teams just withholding the names from the media or have they actually not agreed on the player yet
1: you know at times those players actually change their names um there's been uh there's been reports of a guy who is you know named one thing and then by the time he got to the other team. He's literally changed. That's true. That happened one time, where a guy was truly the player to be named later. But no, aside from that, Steve, you know this. It's uh, they. They don't know the player yet, right? Well, sometimes th- uh, there, there, there's
0: different. There's different scenarios. Uh, sometimes it's look, we need Travis Darno now. We have a catcher emergency. Right. We need a player. We'll give you a player to be named later. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's truly that regard. Sometimes. And I believe in the from what I I heard in the Chris Archer trade, they got Austin Meadows, they got Tyler Glass now. There was a player to be named later in the trade. Mm-hmm. From what I understand, the Rays were given or, or there was a list of five players the Rays could choose from. Okay, and they had a month to decide. Who they wanted, and, and some of it was, I think one or two of the players had a health issue that they wanted to make sure was okay first, and this. So they
1: needed time to study these guys.
0: It was yeah. studying, but it was all, some of it was, is this player fully recovered from a health injury or, or that too? So, uh-huh. it, it can be a lot of different reasons. In that uh-huh. sometimes it's just trying to get the trade done quickly, and we haven't gone through your prospects. So look, it's going to be a low level A prospect, or you know, there's a, there's generally a kind of consensus of what type of player it's going to be or sometimes it's a list of okay here's three players you choose but you haven't really scouted these players yet we want to get this deal done now so Mm -hmm. you've got a month two months whatever it is to do this and sometimes it becomes you've heard the player to be named later or cash considerations so sometimes you just decide i don't like any of the players you're offering we'll pay cash instead
1: right And and those other players, sometimes it's a a function of that team wanting to dump a player or a salary uh, on you, and say you have to take one of these two or three guys. You Mm -hmm. know, yeah, that can happen too. Yeah, yeah,
0: but yeah, so it can vary with players. And I'm sure there's probably more scenarios than I know of. But those are those Literally are I wasn't the ones. I
1: wasn't making it up though. There was a guy okay. and I wish I knew his name because I would tell you, but he actually when they made the trade, his name was one thing, and then by the time he got someplace else, he had changed his name, and so he was indeed the player that was named later. Okay. okay. Well that's good to know. I wish I knew wish I knew the story better. <laughs> it could have been let's say you had Evan Dietrich Smith, and then okay. by the time you got him, he was just Evan Smith, right? So he was a player that okay. was named to be. Or what if we had Chad
0: Johnson and then he became Chad Cinco.
1: Perfect example. <laughs> perfect example now you now you're getting what i'm talking about okay all
0: right we got a mike asked an interesting hypothetical question about the lightning he said if you could only have one player would you rather have Braden point or would you rather have eric carlson and four number one picks that you would get for losing brayden point as a restricted
1: free agent i hate this question because i i really like brayden point to the <laughs> point where not knowing that whether I would screw up the four draft, but uh, four draft picks. I mean, four Andy straight Eric years Carlson? of number ones you get. Well, uh, if you really trusted your scouting staff, I think you'd take that and run with it. Um, however, however, um, Braden Point. Mm, I don't think there's a guy that I would feel more confident playing 200 feet and mm-hmm. uh, skating with the puck through the through the blue line. Than Braden Point, I just and he's he's stands in front of the net and he's available and scores a lot of goals. Mm-hmm. I uh, it's hard to find that guy. Yep. I, I would, be but Eric Carlson now I, gives you a blue line of Hedman, he
0: does, McDonough, Carlson, and Chernack as your top. No four. question.
1: Short term though, I don't know how many years he's going to play at a high level, but right. But yeah, so but th- that's awfully th- th- the
0: hypothetical is because if Braden Points a restricted free agent. Yeah. If a team makes an offer to him. And the Lightning say, yeah. "We're not signing them, You take them. because you have a right to yeah. match it." At that point, that team has to give you their next four number one picks. Actually, four straight years. You have to have your next four number one picks to be able to make an offer sheet. If you if you've traded now, what one if you what
1: if what if that team was the Boston Bruins? Or uh, the Pittsburgh Penguins, like a perennial, or you know well, the Washington Capital, a perennial playoff high, which means high which means the number finishes. one draft
0: pick would be late in the draft if it's the Arizona. That's what
1: I. That's what I mean. You know, so or, would that or, change? Would that change who you would trade for? I it mean,
0: could. You know, are you going to get early picks in the first round or late picks? That's right. You know, and granted you're banking four years out, who knows in four years. Yeah, who knows, knows what,
1: what the team's gonna be, yeah.
0: It's an interesting hypothetical. I mean I, I think the, the you know it's a great I think one. the lightning are gonna find a way to sign Braden Point. I don't think Eric Carlson will be here, although I would like to see him here, but mm-hmm. but that means you're getting rid of several players if you're gonna get Eric Carlson here.
1: Who make, asked that question? Uh, Mike did. Mike Very has
0: nice a, job, a lot of
1: Mike. questions, actually. It's so. not good, man. I, I wrestle with that. I, I love Braden Point. I would not be confident in myself. Maybe, the, maybe there's the Lightning would, their scouting staff, obviously. But me, I like, I like what I see. And what I see is a guy that can really play. The, the funny thing, thing about such... the Lightning
0: scouting staff is that their number one picks don't have a great track record. Really? You know? But they find third and fifth and seventh round players like no tomorrow. Yeah. Or, or undrafted guys that they sign in juniors that like Anthony Sorelli and that where you know mm-hmm. they find those guys really well but their number their history of their number one draft picks aren't you know with with Meh. this current regime since Igerman and Al Murray and Stacy Roos yeah. and them took over you know Andre Vasilevsky was a first round pick that's obviously been a home run but as a whole it, their first round picks haven't been as successful as you'd think based on the success of the organization but man they find third and fifth and sixth round picks that, you know, just change, change everything. I mean, Kucherov's not a first-round pick. You know, mm-hmm. not Tyler Johnson was undrafted. I mean, you just go through it. They they find these guys.
1: All right, once again, lots of great questions. You guys knocked it out of the park, and, of course, we answer them all 100% correctly, so credit to me and Steve Verstick of course, for doing that. <laughs> um, listen, hey, folks, we got the Rays beginning a big series in Detroit. Detroit. Michigan, they've got to go up there and try to right the ship a little bit after losing three to four to the uh, Minnesota Twins. So they'll start that series against the Tigers. We've got uh, minicamp, of course, mandatory for all those that are under contract and not in neck braces. Uh, they will have to be at one buck place. I'll be there tomorrow. We'll be talking to defensive coordinator Todd Bowles and watching uh, a new number 93 runaround for the Tampa Bay Bucks in Indomicon Sioux. So. Look forward to that. Hey, remember now, uh, if you want to be a millionaire, I, I got to tell you, you got to go see my friends Howard and Sue Million uh, because they are uh, the ones that have been in this business now for like over 30 years in the Tampa Bay area. And right now, as hot as it is, I know your air conditionings are, are, are starting to fail. You've got lots of choices out there. Folks, it would really mean a lot to us if you would give the folks at Millionaire a chance. Right now, uh, they are offering 0% interest for 72 months on qualifying equipment. So give them a call. At 727-862-2100 and take advantage of uh, their offers on uh, some brand new train quality air conditioning units and you can schedule service or maintenance. 727-862-2100. For Steve Versnick, I'm Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. Have a great day, everybody.